0: Let's turn to the book of Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. It's an exciting day to be here today at Redeeming Grace. It's, honestly, it's a historic moment in the life of our church. It's a it's a great opportunity for us as we think about what lies ahead, as we think about all that the Lord is doing. And we are excited about our future together. Today we are launching a three-year initiative. A discipleship journey of sorts, as we as we think about this this opportunity that's before us to put down roots in our community. Uh, I think the video kind of outlines that pretty well as we think about why we're doing this. Um, You know, if you've been part of Redeeming Grace for very long, this is this is one of those things that's been a long time coming. It's it's been something that we've been dreaming about, been praying for, been anticipating for quite a while. And if you're new to us. Uh, then you're, you're, you're jumping on the train at an exciting moment. Uh, and we're thrilled that we can be part of this together. And so when we think about putting down roots, what is all of this about? Uh, we're going to try to break that down over the next six weeks as we walk through uh, the first part of Colossians together. But I want us to, to think about it kind of in, in terms in, uh, in this way. First of all, I want you to think about this missionally. What what does putting down roots mean? Well, putting down roots means that we are seeking to expand our capacity for ministry. At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to expand our capacity for ministry to more effectively pursue the mission that God has called us to do as we seek to exalt the Lord, equip disciples, and engage the world with the gospel. That's what it's all about. Uh, We have been given a high calling As ambassadors for Christ we've been given a great stewardship to steward the gospel listen I I continue to hear I don't go asking for these stories I continue to hear people inside the church yes but people outside of our church continue to talk about what's going on at redeeming grace I continue to hear people saying I really hear that that redeeming grace is about the gospel I'm encouraged by that and and people not just in our community I get phone calls People looking for church, and they're like, wow, I'm I'm excited about what's going on at your church. And that's exactly what we want to be about. We want to be about expanding our capacity for ministry so that we can do more together, so that we can be faithful stewards of this mission that God has called us. Practically speaking, a big part of what we're talking about here, it means that we're launching an effort to raise resources so that we can build a future facility that will house all of our ministries in one permanent location. That's, that's just the reality, so that we can better fulfill the mission that we have. Uh, we've, we are in our ninth year of leasing this space here at KCA, and it, it has served us well. So nine years, a congregation has been here. Um, some of you have been here that entire time, and others of you have come in along the way. Well, I was one of you coming along Seven and a half years ago, um, and so it's just been exciting to see how God has blessed even here in the space. But and, and we're really blessed here to have this space that we do at KCA. It's 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 a great opportunity. It's very different than what other churches experience in other school situations. Um, and so it's been a great partnership for us. But but we, as you can see, we're starting to 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 reach the capacity here in our own space, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but Throughout our ministry space, our children's ministry space in particular, has been constrained for some time now, and we want to be better stewards of these ministries. You know, a future facility is going to be a great tool for us. I continue to use that word because that's exactly what it is. Building a building is not the end. If you think, well, we'll build a building and that's the end of the story, uh, wrong story. Uh, It's going to be a tool. It's going to be something that we can use to better leverage the calling that we have been given to minister to this community and really to the ends of the earth. I think it's going to be a game changer for us in many ways, but we need to remember to what end, to what end, and that is seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. That's what this is all about, and I As excited as I am to think about that first Sunday whenever, Lord willing, we are able to get into a new facility of our own, as excited as I am to think about that day, I'm even more excited to think about the many lives that will continue to be transformed through the power of the gospel as it continues to spread through this ministry that the Lord has established here. We think about putting down roots. You know, really that call is about staying faithful to a vision that the Lord has given us clearly in his word to advance the gospel and to make disciples. With this initiative, we are what we're saying is we're putting a stake in the ground. Uh, More than that, kind of a building, but a stake in the ground, saying we're in this for the long haul. Uh, We're in this for the long haul. We've been given the gospel, we've been given a great stewardship, and we're gonna plant ourselves in this community for the long, until Jesus comes again. So that we can continue to leverage and steward this ministry that the Lord has given us. That's at the end of the day what Putting Down Roots is about. Yes, it involves a building. We're excited about that. But it's putting a missional stake in the ground saying we are about advancing the gospel and making disciples. That's what at the end of the day we want to be known as in this community. And so that's what we've been called to do. And this initiative is an opportunity for us to come together as a church family... Uh, To to come together to say, okay, let's think about this together and let's join together in this, this, this opportunity that the Lord has given us as we strive to steward the calling that the Lord has given us. And So we're going to be talking about that over the next six weeks, what that looks like in various ways. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. For the next six weeks, we're going to work through the first chapter and part of chapter two of Colossians as we think about putting down roots. And then when we're finished with that, this campaign series, we're going to just continue through the book of Colossians until sometime in June, Lord willing. So Colossians chapter one uh, is going to be our attention given today, the first 14 verses as we think through what the Lord is calling us to do. So I want to begin reading in, in Colossians chapter one, Beginning in verse 1. This is what the, the Apostle Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would instruct us by it and change us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it is good to get into the mind of a pastor, maybe. I don't know if you ever think about that, but sometimes it's good to get into the mind of a pastor, and even better yet, to get into the prayer life of a pastor. One of the things that I know that that I do and our elders do here at Redeeming Grace is we, we try to faithfully pray for this church. We try to pray, pray for us and what God has called us to be and called, what he's calling us to do. And when I think about the things that we pray for on a regular basis and, and really what should be informing our prayers, I can think of no better place to turn to the, than to the first chapter of the book of Colossians as we get a little insight into the prayer life of the apostle Paul as he prayed kind of in a pastoral way. He wasn't a pastor at Colossae, but he certainly had a pastor's heart and as he prays for this church, I think it gives us a wonderful perspective into the heartbeat of a pastor who wanted to see this church at Colossae flourish. Now I know there's a lot of definitions out there today on what it means to be a flourishing church. And I think Paul gets it right. There's a lot of false notions out there on what it means to be a flourishing church, what it means to be a successful church. And we're not talking about lights and smoke s- smoke on stage. We're talking about faithful gospel ministry that's what we're about that's what we've been called to be as god's people now when you think about paul's relationship to the colossians his relationship is a bit unique he didn't plant this church a lot of times paul would have planted a church and he would follow up and see how the ministry is going but paul was not part of the planting ministry of this church in fact we know that that it was likely Epaphras there in verse 7 who planted this church after hearing the gospel from Paul, being saved by the gospel, and was now going back to Colossae to plant. So he's writing to them to encourage them from a distance because he had heard about the work of the gospel that was going on there in Colossae. See, the Colossians had been impacted by the gospel in a radical way. Colossians had been The the Colossian people had been transformed, and that transformation was evident to those around. In fact, it had already spread, and and Paul had begun to hear about the work of the gospel taking place there. And so Paul wanted to now write to them to encourage them to stay the course. He wanted to write to the Colossians to say, listen, stay firmly rooted on the gospel. Part of the reason of that was that there had been false teaching starting to be uh, propagated throughout that, that region, and the Colossians were being impacted by this, this false teaching that was now kind of being wide, uh, widespread throughout the area. And so he's writing to them to say, listen, I'm encouraged by what I hear about you, but I also want to encourage you to stay the course. I want to encourage you to stay firmly planted on the gospel that you first heard and that changed you, and don't go away from it. We're we're gonna see that as we make our way through this book. So he writes and he begins here in Colossians chapter one in this letter that he wrote to them. He's expressing his prayer for them. Notice there in verse three he says, we always thank God for you. And then in verse nine, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is a prayer-filled introduction that Paul sends to the Colossians to encourage them in the midst of their ministry. When I think about this prayer, you know, I think about the things that Paul was praying for the Colossians. And I I can't help but think, this is what I want for us. The things that Paul prays here should be things that any church wants to see happen. It should be things that we all should want to, to see happen in the local church, and this is very much part and parcel to what my prayer is for Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. So that's my desire. As we walk through Colossians together, as we walk through the next three years together of this initiative, as we continue beyond that, I want us as a gospel people to behold the glory and wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see how that gospel shapes and informs us how we live life together in this world for the glory of God. I want us to behold that glorious gospel. I want us to see that glorious Savior, and as we do so, to be transformed by this good news so that we live out our lives in faithful obedience to Christ. In other words, my prayer and my hope for us today and in the days to come is that we would be, that we would, that we would be all in for what God is calling us to do, that we would be committed to each other and committed to Christ because listen, the reality is this, there is no greater gospel and there is no greater savior in this world. We've been given it and there's no greater cause to spend the rest of our lives on than this good news and this great savior. We can spend a lot of time investing in a lot of things, but this, friends, is the ultimate thing that we've been called to steward and pour our lives into, and that's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to consider these introductory verses together. There are two primary things I want you to see today in this prayer. I want you to see, number one, the priority of gratitude, and number two, the pattern of change. These are things that informed Paul's prayer life as he prayed for the Colossians and things, by the way, that should shape our prayers for each other and definitely my prayer for you and for us together as a church. The priority of gratitude and the pattern of change. First of all, the priority of gratitude. Again, this letter is similar to many others that Paul wrote as he introduces himself as he normally does. There in, in verse one, he identifies himself. He identifies the original recipients of this letter. It says, Paul, and by the way, Timothy's kind of with him there, helping him in ministry and is very much part of sending this letter as well. He's writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He introduces himself, he greets them there in the first two verses, then then he moves on into verse 3. And it's in verse 3 that he begins to recount things that he continually thanked the Lord for about these believers. These are some great things to consider, by the way. When you begin to walk through verses 3 through 8, I just want you to think about your own prayer life. I want you to think about this. I want you to think, are these things, as I pray for my brothers and sisters, are these things that I'm thankful for? Are these things that that mark my own sense of gratitude for what the Lord's doing in my life and in the lives of those around me? Let's think about these together. First of all, notice several, notice I think there are three things in particular that Paul's thankful for. Number one, he's thankful for their faith. Look at verses three and four. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. He says, since we heard of your faith. Notice a couple of things about this faith. First of all, we see that the testimony of the gospel had been evident in this church so that in a day without Instagram or Twitter or texting Paul had now been able to hear about the amazing fruit coming from this church. Word had spread. Word had spread about these believers there and I want you to notice two quick features about their faith. Number one I want you to notice the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Notice notice who Paul is thanking. Notice what he says. We thank God for your sincere faith. He was not thanking the Colossians for being so bold and so mighty in their own strength that they had the courage and the ability on their own, and they were such a great and faithful church that they just believed on their own. No, he thanked the Lord for their faith because he understood that even saving faith is a gift of God. And so he was thankful to God for the faith that these believers had. A faith, by the way, notice the object of their faith, the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, this is not just a blind faith. This is not just a faith just to to, to be believing, to be believing. It was a faith rooted in Christ Jesus. So it was a gift of faith, and the object of faith was Christ. And it was this faith, a saving faith, for which Paul was so thankful. He was thankful for their faith. Number two, he was thankful for their love. Look at verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Listen, wherever true saving faith exists, it will certainly be visible. Through how people live out their lives. Jesus even said that if you want the world to know you're my disciples, it will be seen by the love that you have for each other in John chapter 13. So he says here, doesn't he? He says, I'm thankful for your faith. I'm thankful for the love that you have for all the saints. This was part of the testimony of the Colossian church. Listen, faith never exists in a vacuum. It always results in a transformed life, which is evident in our human relationships. A change will be evident in how you care for people and how you treat people and how you interact with people. Notice what he says. Also, he says, a love for all the saints. Notice that their love was not a selective love. It's a reminder that the gospel creates in us the capacity to love others and those even who are not just naturally part of our affinity groups. These were people who had been transformed by the gospel, and their love now was spread for all. Not just people like them. They loved all the saints. He was thankful for this love. He was also, number three, thankful for their hope. See that in verses five, really down through verse eight. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Notice this triad that's common in Paul's writings of faith, hope, and love. You see it right here in Paul's gratitude and what the gospel had done in them. He was thankful for their faith. He was thankful for their love. He was thankful for their hope. Notice several truths about this hope. Number one, it was a hope laid up in heaven. Look at verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. When we think about hope, a lot of times we we use that word hope very loosely as if it's wishful thinking, right? It's, biblical hope is not wishful thinking like, I hope it rains today or I hope it stops rain. We don't need any more rain, that's for sure. I hope it sunshine is out there today. I hope it warms up to 80 degrees. Any amens on that one? None, okay, there we go. You all awake? All right. And cold, amen. So he was thankful for their hope, and this hope was a confidence, a confidence in Christ, but a hope, a confidence that was now laid up in heaven. It was, it was reserved, we could say. Th- these were a people who had reservations in heaven. And that's where their hope was rooted. They were not, they were not um, so called up in the things of the world that they forgot about heaven. They were, they were setting their minds on the things above. Their hope was rooted in in their future reward. Friends, we need to think about that. Every sacrifice we make in this life, every act of obedience we commit in this life, everything that we do ought to be driven by the fact that we have a hope that is rooted, that that is reserved for us in heaven. Our eternal perspective must shape and inform everything we do in this life. So therefore, we shouldn't build up treasures in this world. We should build up treasure in heaven. And as that happens, it will inform how we live out our lives here. So it's a hope that's laid up in heaven. Number two, it's a hope that's rooted in the gospel. Look at verses five and six. Because of this hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It was one of Paul's concerns for this church was this widespread influence of false teaching. We're not exactly sure. There's been a lot of scholarly guesses as to what the false teaching was. Uh, nobody has really landed on exactly what it was, whether it's Gnosticism or some other, other uh, influence. It could have been a variety of different teachings. But the fact of the matter is that there was, a, there, was a, there was this widespread influence of false teaching taking place. And here, Paul is setting the record straight, saying, listen, that is not the source of your hope. Your source of hope is rooted in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Your, your hope is there. Don't forget that. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the word of truth which has come to them. Notice there the language that he uses. He's highlighting The activity of God to reach out to them and to visit them with his saving power. That's exactly how the gospel came. It's how the gospel goes to anyone. It is God visiting people, God visiting sinners, God visiting cities and regions and towns and communities with his saving grace, with his saving favor. And their hope was rooted in that. Their hope was rooted in that work. And number three, it was a hope that, that bears fruit. See that in in verse 6, this gospel that has come to you, indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Bears fruit. The gospel is powerful and active, resulting in bearing fruit in our lives. And Paul is saying, not only is that the case throughout the entire world, the known world, the, the region of that day, but it's true of you, Colossians. The gospel is advancing and it's producing, and they were living proof of that. So again, Paul's thanksgiving is marked by this triad of faith, hope, and love common in his writing. It was the faith, the love, and the hope of these believers that filled him with gratefulness to God because he knew it was the work of God that had established this in their lives. Friends, as I reflect upon God's work here at Redeeming Grace over these past seven and a half years that I have been, uh, that, I've, that I've had the pleasure and privilege of being pastor here, I can resonate with Paul's sentiment. I, I can appreciate what he values or valued to the Colossians and, and what was going on in there. I, I, I see the same thing. I too am thankful to the Lord for his work of grace. In your lives. I too am thankful for the faith that you have been given. For the love that you extend toward each other. For the hope that drives you. It encourages me to see these things at work in you. And it compels me to be thankful to God for his work of grace at Redeeming Grace. It's a blessing to be able to pastor a church like this. And friends, as we continue to walk forward in this journey together, as we even walk forward to this this journey of putting down roots, friends, we must remember that it is indeed the the gospel that is the core of who we are. May we never be known by by the shape of a building, by, by anything else, except that we are a gospel people that we are a Christ-exalting people, and may that compel us to be faithful stewards in all that we've been called to be and do. It is the gospel that must continue to define who we are and nothing more. Must be that. That's what we want to build our lives on as, as a church remembering the fact, that, and being thankful. As we think about putting down roots, being thankful that God has put down roots in us. And that's what, that's what motivates us as we strive to be faithful in the calling that God has given us. As this is the core of what we're about and very much foundational to how we live in our lives, including how we will respond to this, this exciting opportunity that we're calling Putting Down Roots. Everything we have and everything that we enjoy comes from the Lord, and that is true of our salvation. And the very fact that we have been recipients of God's grace, the recipients of God's generosity, the recipients of God's kindness, ought to in turn inform how we live out our lives as his people. You're not your own, the scripture says. You've been bought with a price. So remember that. We see the priority of gratitude. Notice number two, the pattern of change. As Paul continues here, he's he's not only telling them that he's been praying for them, but he tells them what he's been praying for them. This is what I find so helpful. He obviously says, these are things I've been thankful for. and Now he says, we've been praying for you without ceasing, and (coughs) here's what we've been praying for. Again, I want you to think about, when you pray for this church, or any church for that matter, other Christians, just think about the things we pray for. It would do us so good in our prayer life to learn from the, from the prayers of Scripture, wouldn't it? To think about, oh, this is, this is actually helpful intercession. So let's think about what Paul prays here. He, he prays for several things, and by the way, this is my prayer for you. As I think about Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, as I think about who God has called us to be and how he's called us here, I'm praying these same things. Number one, he says, I'm praying that your minds would be filled with the right knowledge. Look at verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice the the language there. He's he's saying that I'm, I'm praying asking God that he would fill you with no, the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you've got knowledge, wisdom, and understanding used right here in this one verse. This is not, by the way, a knowledge of all the details of your life, about how things are going to shape up for you. He says, with the knowledge of his will. He's not saying, praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of every detail of decision-making in your life. No, he's talking about, I'm, I'm praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's basically saying, I'm praying that the Lord would continue to fill you with the knowledge of the gospel, of His saving will for you. He's praying that they would continue to grow and deepen in their understanding of God's salvation because there was false gospels being propagated. He's saying, I'm praying that your minds would not be filled with false truth, well, with false gospels, uh, but with the true gospel." That you would continue to grow in that spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, it's a knowledge of what God has done through Jesus Christ that He wanted the Colossian believers to be filled with. Notice number two, it's a walk marked with the right purpose, a mind filled with the right knowledge, but a walk filled or marked by the right purpose. You see that in verse 10. So as, as they're filled with this knowledge of the true gospel and true salvation as they are informed and shaped by in their thinking about the truth of who Jesus is and how how he's worked to save them and how he now lives in them and leads them. He's saying, listen, that's going to shape how you live. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Friends, I know that We always say, well, we'll never be able to reach a point of perfection this side of heaven. But that is never never an excuse to not position yourself in a way that seeks to please the Lord. When we understand the generosity of God's grace in our lives, when we understand the work that God has done to save us and as our minds are continually filled with that knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding, that will indeed direct us and motivate us and turn us to live lives that are lived out in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God. I would just say, by the way, you can't Live out your life in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to God without the gospel. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior, if you've never experienced this faith, hope, and love that's described in verses 3 through 8, then you will never be on a course where your life is going to be fully pleasing to God. You're never gonna be on a pathway where you can live out your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so the call for you, friend, today is to yield your life in faith to Jesus. Put your hope in Him. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit trusting in in people and things around you and put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus, understanding that only he can remove your sins because he died on the cross for sinners and only he can clothe you in righteousness because he's the only one that's ever been righteous. So your hope should be found in him. That should be your response today and and only through through that can you begin living a life that is fully pleasing to God. It's a walk that we're called to. Living a life that's consistent with the character of God and the ways of God. This this ought to be a question we regularly visit in our own minds. You ever talk to yourself? You should talk to yourself in this way. Just don't answer yourself. Just talk to yourself. Lord, am I living in a manner worthy of you? I mean, that should just be a question we ask ourselves daily Lord, is this pleasing to you? Is is my life being marked by a a sense of worthiness to you? The way I spend my time, the way I I care for my family, the way I treat my friends, the way that I spend my day at work or at school, is is my life a reflection of the gospel? Am Am I investing my life in a way that is worthy of your name, the way that we Pursue others, the way that we use our resources. Paul's helpful here because he gives us a list of of what this looks like very specifically. I'm getting ahead of him. I'm trying to give you some examples. Well, he gives us some examples. What does a a worthy walk look like? Well, he gives us some uh, four things to kind of see right here in the text. First of all, he says a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that bears fruit. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. There's four words that end in I-N-G, little participle phrases that that go back to describe what this life pleasing to the Lord looks like. Number one is bearing fruit in every good work. Again, your life should be a reflection of the work of the gospel in you. So, So when you plant an apple tree in the ground, and it grows, what, what, what should it produce? This is easy, folks. Apples. Right. When the gospel is planted in you, it will produce gospel things. Not apples, gospel things. That's what you're going to look at. No one should ever have to wonder whether or not you're a Christian. If people have to wonder that about you, then you need to wonder about, has the gospel taken root in me? If it's a question on whether or not you're truly a Christian, you need to do some serious heart work and examination. The gospel creates fruit in our lives. Leads to a life of transformation and change, so you think differently. You pursue relationships differently. You do your work differently. You you give differently. Life becomes centered on Christ and his kingdom, not, not about you and your little kingdom. That's what the American dream teaches you. Live life and make it about you. Make it about your, your desires and your, your kingdom. I use the word kingdom. Because that's, not, that's not at all what the gospel calls us to. The gospel calls us to, to, to deny ourselves, to submit to the Savior. Because his kingdom lasts forever and he, he is a glorious king and he is worthy of everything that we can give him. So we bear fruit. Number two, another way that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is you grow in knowledge. It says bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we should ever be growing in the knowledge of God knowing god is itself an action it's a sense of obedience and even obedience is a fruit of that knowledge there should never be a moment in your life where you say i've I've kind of got everything about god figured out i think i know enough to get me through life shall we go back and read romans 11 again There'll never be a time where we fully exhaust the the, the fullness and glory of who God is. You know, we often want to to focus on obedience, and that is a good thing. We, We need to think about how we live out our lives. But listen, true godliness will not come apart from knowing God truly. True godliness will not happen apart from knowing God truly. And so as we pray, and as I pray for you, and as you pray for each other, this is one of the things that we ought to be praying that we would continue to grow in the knowledge of God, and as that, that knowledge begins to, to, to shape our thinking, again, it's going to lead into more and more fruit. Number three, it says, "Bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge." It says, "May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy." This further describes how we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice that God is the actor here. We are the recipient, that we are being strengthened. This is not a call to strengthen yourselves. This is a call to ask the Lord, may you be strengthened. May you receive from God his strength with all power, according to his glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. God is the source of our strength to give us everything that we need for all endurance and patience. I just ask you, what is it that gets you through the dark valleys? What is it that gets you through and sees you through the searing pain of sickness and death? What is it that sustains and supports you in the hard times? Is it not the power of God? must be the power of God or else we would crumble under the weight of of the things that we endure in this life and friends, this ought to be our prayer for each other my prayer for you is that we would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of God so that we will endure and patient and have patience with joy brothers and sisters the same power that was at work in creation The same power that parted the Red Sea, the same power that turned the water into wine, the same power that healed the leper, the same power that calmed the sea, the same power that raised the dead is the same power that is at work in you if you know Jesus. Friends, it is my prayer that you would continually be strengthened by such power. And when we think about campaign like this we think about the responsibility that we have as members of this church I know some of us are thinking well I, I have no idea how I'm going to give sacrificially to such a cause I just don't know how it's going to happen what's going to happen because of the power of God not because you're smart enough it's going to happen because you're being strengthened by God's power by God's grace by his generosity and by him giving you the wisdom to see the things you need to see This is true in every aspect of our lives. And a fourth way that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is by giving thanks. Paul ends this call to walk in such a way with the idea of gratitude. Notice he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins giving thanks listen christian people ought to be a thankful people it's so easy to get caught up into this world and this life and just be be ungrateful we're surrounded with by ungrateful people all the time aren't we And we could easily grow into that if we're not careful, just just grumbling and, and complaining about every little thing that comes our way instead of just being marked by a sense of gratitude. When you think about what the gospel truly is, there there is no other response except to be thankful. We are thankful to the one who has qualified us. We were not qualified for salvation. You weren't qualified. None of us were qualified you have to qualify for a lot of things in this world. listen, you none of us were ever qualified for heaven. we would have not made it were it not for the grace of God. He qualified you, therefore he gets the glory. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance. we, we are you know I know sometimes we think about well maybe i'll get maybe i 'll strike it rich and, and get an inheritance. Well, if you do, you can give it this campaign, but if you don't you 've got a an inheritance awaiting for you in heaven that's what we have that's what we've been given qualified us to share in the inheritance he's delivered us we were in bondage we were shackled we were we were enslaved to sin we and god in his grace has delivered us from the domain of darkness And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you see what he's done? He's qualified, he's delivered, and he's transferred us. All actions of God in his sovereign grace to redeem you. Friends, you and I, you you and I have been given so much in our lives ought to be abounding in thankfulness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Just think about your life. You say, well, pastor, I worked hard for what I've got. Well, how did you get the work? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is His. Everything that we have is, is His. Everything. You know, as I contemplate where we are as a church, I can't help but resonate with the things that Paul brings out here. A deep gratitude for what God has done and praying that that pattern of change would continue to be evident in how people live out their lives. Now, brothers and sisters, that's what we want to do as a church. When a people are transformed, when a people are qualified, delivered, and transferred, and thereby transformed by the grace of God, the entire course of their life changes. If your life looks little to no different after meeting Jesus, I wonder if you've really met Jesus. I mean, he changes everything. Everything. When a people are are transformed by the power of the gospel the entire course of their life, their priorities, their decisions, their behavior, everything changes. And Paul's prayer is a prayer that is rooted in that glorious gospel that brings that kind of change. Brothers and sisters, as we, as we think about putting down roots in this community to expand the capacity of our ministry, I want you to think about that from this perspective. I want you to think about that from the work of the gospel, and, and you really need to begin in your own heart. Think about putting down roots. I know some of us have been part of this for a long time now. We're just anxious to get there. I just want you to stop right now. and I just want you to begin to, to pray and ask the Lord, has the gospel really taken root in you? And if it has, is it bearing fruits? Are you growing in the knowledge? Are you being strengthened? Are you thankful? Is, is it evident that the gospel has taken root in you? Or is your life being shaped and informed by it? Can you say that your life is fully pleasing to God in every way? Of course you can't. Nobody can say that. But is, is, your, is your life on that trajectory? Friends, that's where we all have to start. And I know that we have a big opportunity before us. We have a big goal. Just to break it down practically, over the next three years, we're talking about raising one and a half million dollars That's a big goal, and that is ambitious. I think I said it in the video, it's beyond us, but it's not beyond the Lord. So how do we get there? Well, we get there in two ways. More than that, but I'm going to give you two today. Number one, it begins with remembering who we are and whose we are. It begins right here in Colossians, reminding ourselves and being reminded by God through his word that we've been given hope, that the gospel has come to us, that God has come to us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God took upon himself everything that was required to bring us to himself. Everything that he demanded, he supplied in bringing us salvation. So remembering who we are, that the gospel has taken root in us, and that we are not our own. And, and what we have, what, what, what do we have that we've not been given? Everything we have is a gift of God's grace to us. Remembering who we are and whose we are, number one. And two, because of that, will we would be committing to a life of generosity. And part of that looks like a commitment to this effort. Now, if you're visiting with us today, I'm not necessarily talking to you right now, but you can listen in, talking to our church, this is the church's responsibility. What we're asking for, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, we are asking for a 100% participation in this effort, 100% participation. If we are going to do this, this means that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church decides we're doing this together and that we're all in. We're all in. We've been talking about this. We're talking about how, how we're going to have to equally sacrifice. That doesn't mean that, that our gifts are going to be equal and the same. There are going to be vast differences in the amount of what people are able to give. But we're all committed and that we're all in to sacrifice for this cause because it's ultimately about the advance of the gospel and the making of disciples and, and to, to expand our capacity to do that. So listen, if if God has blessed you in great ways, we need you to think about giving in great ways. I don't know that about you, you know that about you. If God has blessed you significantly, we need you to invest significantly. Proportional giving is something we find in the Bible that we give according to our means. And how God is blessed and how he provides and sometimes sometimes that's even more than we think. And you may be sitting here thinking, I know early on I was thinking this about my own country. I was thinking, how am I going to be able to give significantly and sacrificially? And you may be be sitting there thinking this morning, I don't know how that's going to happen. And you may not be able right now in the present to give a significant amount of money. But I don't want you to think for a moment that that doesn't matter. Any gift that you have and whatever that looks like sacrificially, sacrificially for you matters. The Lord reminds us in Luke chapter 16 verse 10 that one who is faithful with a very little is also faithful in much. Friends, the the, the Lord is not so concerned with the, the amount that you write down on a card as he is with the heart behind it. As we think about what it's going to take to reach our goal, it's going to take the type of people that Paul prays for here in Colossians chapter one. It's gonna take the kind of people that are gospel-minded people coming together to do gospel-driven things. And to be reminded that this life is not about us and what we can build for ourselves, it's about the Lord, it's about the gospel, it's about how we can invest, not just for our own sake, but for the future generations to come. One of the things that we're going to be asking you to do, and when you leave here today, especially if you're part of Redeeming Grace, we're going to be giving you a little packet of information. Some of you got this at our dessert fellowship last night. One of the things that is, it's just a little booklet that explains a lot of these things, and one of the things that you'll get is this little commitment card, and on the back it's got, got some suggested gifts and different things like that, and as you pray through that, that's what we're asking you to do today, is to commit to make a commitment, That you would commit to take this card to pray over it and that you would be committed today to making some kind of commitment to this cause. Those will be turned in on April the 7th and so we've got about five weeks as we think through that, as we pray through that. But I want you to take it. I want you to put it in a place where you can pray over that and just begin asking the Lord, be, be praying big prayers as to what he would have you do. Friends, this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about what God is doing here at Redeeming Grace. He's calling us to put down roots. Yes, with a building, but really more than that. He's calling us to put down roots so that our roots will go deep and wide for the sake of the gospel. Friends, there is no greater cause on the planet. No gra- you, you will never convince me that there is any greater cause on this planet than the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, Nothing greater. He's calling us to be part of this great movement of the gospel and that we would be more faithful in our stewardship of this gospel. And I can't think of a better group of people to get to do that with than you. What do you mean, Grace? There's no greater gospel. And there's no greater Savior. So by God's grace, being strengthened with God's power, let's all commit to this goal that's before us. And let's put down roots together that will go far and wide for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us of who it is we are. Lord, even through this prayer of the Apostle Paul, we're reminded that we, we are people who have received grace. We have been a people receiving good news. We have been a people who have been qualified, delivered, and transferred. Father, you have done this work for us, and and because of that, we are to live to your glory, and we just want to thank you this morning for what you've done. Father, our salvation is not our doing. It is your doing. And because of that, Lord, we no longer belong to our own. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price, and so we're called to glorify you with our bodies. And so would you help us do that? Would you help us to do that in our our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools? Would you help us to do that in our conversations with friends? Would you help us to be a gospel people, a fruit-bearing people? And Lord, certainly, even as we think about this campaign of putting down roots, would you help us to do that even in our giving? that we would be willing to commit to whatever it takes to see this through so that we can continue this work that you've called us to do more faithfully. Lord, we commit this to you. We ask for your help in it. We pray that it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.